you can see on the story and the book of Jonah. As we had talked about, October is our month of missions focus where we look at our local missions and our global missions. And we are going to be having missionaries come through, uh, two that we partner with. Rick Romano will be here next week from the Dominican Republic. And then after that will be Bob and Cheryl Fugate. And we'll be able to spend time with them and hear what God is doing across the globe. And we are just excited to continue to focus on missions. You'll see in your bulletin that we have an insert that tells a little bit more about our missions globally and gives you an opportunity to give to the good work that the Lord is doing. And so we're going to be focusing on a reluctant missionary, the missionary Jonah. So let us turn our hearts to prayer and then we will dive into the word of the Lord together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word that gives us instruction that speaks to our lives, not just to our minds, but to change and transform us. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will fall fresh upon us this morning. May we hear your word. May we be convinced and convicted of the truth. May we be rebuked and encouraged of where we need to be in our own lives and where we are with you. I pray you'll bless us now and may we learn for our lives application not just for our minds, education. In your name, amen. Amen. Maybe it's because the new uh, Amazon Lord of the Rings show is on, but I've been reflecting on the Lord of the Rings a lot. The, the wonderful allegorical story by J.R.L. Tolkien. And if you look at that story, you'll see in the wonderful epic story, there is a man named Aragorn, son of Arathorn. And he is the rightful king of Gondor. He is to be the high king of Gondor. But for the majority of his life, he kind of runs away from this call on his life. If he were to step onto the throne, everything would begin to change in Middle-earth. But he is afraid that he's going to end up like Isildur and be corrupted by the One Ring. And the whole story focuses on several different aspects of his life and Frodo's life. But the main apex of the story is when he accepts his position as the high king of Gondor. And all things begin to be put right. And the ring is destroyed and he is the high king of Gondor. He, he, He was running away from what his call was in life. He was an old guy, it didn't look like it, but he had long life, and he was about 60 or 70 years old when he finally decided to step into his position. And I think of that story when I think of Jonah, because Jonah did the very same thing. Jonah was a man called by God for a specific mission, for a specific purpose, and he ran away from what God had him to do. He was to be on mission, to be a missionary to other people, and he did not want to do so. I think that you and I, we tend to do the same thing. That we know what our purpose and mission is because the scripture tells us what we're called to do. Whether we are in a specific job or a specific calling to ministry, we're all called to be missionaries for the gospel, proclaiming the truth of who Christ is in our lives. But often we ignore or reject our call. Maybe we're called to serve in different areas across the world or in our church or in our community, but we become too busy, we become too self-involved, and maybe we become too lazy. We tend to choose our own path, 
our own way and our own desire over the Lord's. That's true of my life, and it's true of your life. We tend to choose our own path, our own way, and our own desires above the Lord's. It, it is simpler sometimes to do what we want rather than to do what the Lord has called us to do. It's an easier path to do and, and live the way we want to rather than under the lordship of King Jesus. And Jonah was this type of person. When we uh, live out our own plan, our own way, and our own desires above the Lord's, we reflect Jonah. Now, we can look at Jonah's negative example and find positive application for our own lives. And that's what we're going to do this morning and throughout this series of looking at this reluctant missionary, but also focusing on the mercy of God. We're going to look at his negative example for positive application. And this morning, we're going to answer this question. How can we embrace the Lord's mission of mercy? How can we embrace the Lord's mission of mercy? Of mercy. What God was calling Jonah to was a mission of mercy. When we go across the globe to proclaim the truth of the gospel or go to our neighbor to proclaim the truth of the gospel, it is a mission of mercy because you and I do not deserve the salvation of Christ. But yet it is available to us because Christ has died on the cross. I believe that Jonah's life in this passage gives us six keys to embracing the Lord's mission of mercy. And the first key is the key of what I like to call nonsense. Because the Lord's mission and mercy rarely makes sense to the human mind. The Lord's mission and mercy rarely makes sense to the human mind. Let us look at 2 Kings 14, 25 and Jonah 1, 1 through 2. Here's the word of the Lord. You can open up your Bible if you desire, or you can read it on the screen. 2 Kings 14, verse 25. He, that's God, restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. Now Jonah 1, 1 through 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So here we see the beginning clip of who Jonah is. Many of you may not have realized that Jonah was mentioned in 2 Kings. Jonah was mentioned there first, and so he was a known commodity when he wrote the book of Jonah. We look at the book of Jonah and forget that or maybe don't remember or know that he was in the Bible before and had already a prophetic ministry, but he did. And here we see God calling a mission of mercy on the life of Jonah to the Ninevites. This, this call would make very little sense to Jonah and to the Israelites. Because if you were to look at the prophets in Scripture, in the Old Testament, they usually were there most likely to rebuke and call out Israel for their sins. They were not going to Gentile or pagan nations talking about their sins. They were speaking to their own people. And so for God to call Jonah as a prophet outside of his own people to a people that are Gentiles and pagans, it would be astronomically crazy to his mind. It would make no sense. He's like, wait, I'm a prophet to Israel. You, you had me give words to Israel already. Why in the world would you send me 
there. And the Ninevites were not good people. They were bad people. They were a horrific culture. They would do crazy, ridiculous things to one another. They were not a good people. They were brutal, and they were violent, and they hated Israel. So why in the world would God be sending me outside of Israel to these people? This would not make sense. Secondly, Jonah himself would not be the particular prophet that you would anticipate to go over to this group of people. Well, I say that because if you look at the, at the kings, first and second kings, and the prophets, when they speak to Israel, they're speaking mostly rebuke. They're speaking, hey, change, turn your heart, turn your mind. But Jonah had the blessed responsibility of telling Israel the good things that God was going to do. You see, he says right here, the Lord restored the border of Israel just like he said through Jonah. So God was doing good things, and Jonah was the one prophet that got to stand up and say, God is going to do a good thing. Now, all the other prophets were hated. He would have been loved. Wow, <laughs> I like that Jonah guy. I wish he would prophesy a little bit more because he says good things, and it happens. So he was a proven prophet, and he was a prophet who was very specific and pro-Israel. One commentator says the original readers of the book of Jonah would have remembered him as intensely patriotic, a highly partisan nationalist. And they would have been amazed that God would send a man like that to preach to the very people he most feared and hated. This would have been a ridiculous thing in the minds of the people who were reading this. And it was a ridiculous thing to Jonah. It made no sense to go to a different culture, a different country, people that he hated, people that he did not want to talk to, people that he was against because he was only about his own people. This reminds us, the Lord uses unlikely people for unlikely missions with undeserved mercy. The Lord uses unlikely people for unlikely missions with undeserved mercy. Choosing both the Ninevites for the prophecy and Jonah were nonsensical to the average Hebraic mind. But God chose an unlikely person to do an unlikely mission to bring undeserved mercy. You see, Jonah knew God well enough that if God was going to send him to the Ninevites to share that there is a God who is angry with your sin, he knew that God would offer an opportunity for repentance and mercy in this process. And so the very people he hated could possibly receive grace and mercy. He was not about that mission. He did not want to do that thing. That is the first key we see. Nonsense. Because God's mission does not always make sense. The second key is the key of obedience. And we are to obey the Lord when it's hard, not just when it's easy. Not just when it's easy. In verse 3, Jonah 1, verse 3, it says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You see, it was easy when God said, hey, Jonah, go to Israel and say something really nice. It would be super easy to do that. 
He was like, oh, I would love to obey that. All these other guys, they're getting hated on because they're saying really bad stuff. But I get the opportunity to go and share good things. That's an easy thing. I can obey that. I can walk in obedience when I get to be a nice guy. But when I have to go to people that I hate, people that I fear, people that if they saw me and knew I was an Israelite could possibly kill me on sight, and people that I don't want to receive the mercy of God because that's a possibility, I'm not going to go. I think, again, you and I can reflect Jonah in this. When it comes to following God with the easy things of obedience, we are willing to step into that and say, okay, God, I can do that. But when things begin to get a little bit more difficult, when they get to be a little bit more uncomfortable, when it comes to a place where there are people that we don't want to interact with, where there are people who we feel don't deserve the mercy of God, we don't want to talk to them about Jesus. When he calls us to something of sacrifice, I want you to give up your time, your talent, and your treasure to serve the Lord, to go to missions, to send other people to service and work for the Lord in the church or in the community or across the seas, that becomes a little bit more difficult. When I, I've, I've talked with parents whose kids were called to overseas missions to very unsafe areas, and they tried to convince their kids to not go, I tell the parents, you need to let them go. If that is God's call on their life, walk in obedience and let them go, send them with a blessing. Don't hold so tightly to them. Now, it's a lot easier said than done, but it's an important aspect of obeying God even when it's difficult. And the question that we ask, have to ask ourselves, will we obey even when it's hard to go, to send, to serve, to pray, or to give? The Ninevites, like I said, were a violent and cruel people. He feared them as a people, and he feared that God would give them mercy. Jonah allowed his bias to hinder the mission of God that he had been called to. Warren Wearsby says this, He not only hated their sins, and the Assyrians were ruthless enemies, but he hated the sinners who committed the sins. It was hard for him to move in obedience in that. And there may be people in your own life that you don't like very much. There may be people in your life that you look at them and say, they don't deserve the mercy of God. There may be people that you say, I just don't want to talk to them or interact with them. But deep down, you know that God is saying, love them. Speak to them. Give them mercy. Give them grace. The same mercy and grace that you didn't deserve, but you received. So we see that there's the nonsense portion key to living into the mission of God. There's an act of obedience that we are called to. And then the third key is the key of connection. Refusal to go on mission hinders our connection to the Lord. When we disobey, as an old preacher once said, with the Lord to disobey is to turn away. We're turning away from God when we disobey. And I know that's kind of trite and cheesy, but it, it makes sense. It's a very important thing to remember. It's easy to remember. With the Lord, to disobey is to turn away. 
And it says here twice in this one verse, Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, it says twice that he rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. Jonah knew, because Jonah was the one writing this, that's the anticipation, that Jonah knew that when he was disobeying the Lord, he was walking away from the presence and intimacy of God. He's like, nope. I'm not going to go on that mission. I don't want to. I don't like them. I'm not a fan. I'm going to walk this way. I'm going to go in the complete opposite direction. You see, where Nineveh was was here. Tarshish was here. He's like, I'm going to go as far away as I possibly can, and God can't make me go. Because if I'm really far away, <laughs> it, it's too far. God's not that strong. Right? I'm going to walk away from the presence of God because if I can walk away from His presence, I don't have to be consistently convicted that I'm doing the wrong thing. So if I put some huge distance between me and God, I'll be okay. I'll be fine. I won't feel guilty. I won't feel bad. God won't continue to speak to me. I can just do what I want to do. But that's not true. God said, arise, Jonah. And Jonah arose but he went the other way. <laughs> he obeyed the arising. He's like, well, I can stand up and leave, but I'm not going where you want me to go. Warren Wiersbe says, Jonah knew that he couldn't run away from God's presence because of Psalm 139. Deep down, he knew it, but he felt he had the right to turn in his resignation. He's like, meh, I don't want to be a prophet anymore. I'm done. Here's my resignation. Here's my two weeks. Actually, here's my two minutes. I'm done. But that's not how we can function. Jonah knew his intimacy with the Lord would be affected. When we disobey, we are turning away, not just from what God has called us to, but our intimacy and the presence of God. Sin hinders our relationship with the Lord. We have to see that. We have to see that our disobedience affects the intimacy that we are called to. If we are called to abide with the Lord, that His presence changes, transforms, convicts, convinces, encourages, rebukes, then we need to stay and abide in His presence. But disobedience means that we're turning away and walking away from the very presence of God. Warren Wiersbe continues, God was no longer speaking to Jonah now through His word. He was speaking to him through his works, the sea, the wind, the rain, the thunder, and even the great fish. Everything in nature obeyed God except his servant. God even spoke to Jonah through heathen sailors. God was continuously trying to knock on the door of Jonah's heart and life to say, just repent, go back, don't resign. But he chose to resign rather than to repent, which we'll talk about in a moment. The fourth key is the key of storms. Storms are difficulties in life that can arise from the sin of disobedience. We see it hinders our connection, but then it causes some storms that can show up in our lives. Let's look at Jonah 1, 4 through 6. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? 
Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God that you have will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Wow. He's disobeying God. He thinks he can flee from the presence of God, throw in his two days or two minutes of resignation from his prophet job, and he gets on the boat and thinks that he's going to get to Tarshish, and God says, nope, I have a different plan for what you're doing. I have chosen you. I want you to do it, whether you don't want to or not. This is the mission I have for you. And so a storm arises in his life. Now, one of the things that we have to step back and say is that not all storms stem from our sin, but some do. Not all storms stem from our sin because the enemy would seek to derail us. He would seek to derail our ministry, our marriage, our lives, our finances, our, our, our ability to live in, in, in community. He wants to destroy those things because he wants to bring us down. But there are some and often are storms that come into our lives that we have created on our own because of our sin. Timothy Keller says, The Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty. Every sin that we step into, there will be some sort of difficulty that arises. And one of the things that I think we continue to convince ourselves of is that we can hide certain sins in our lives, that we can keep those things in the closet. But the reality is, is that one day, one day those things will come out and they will bite us in the behind. They will not stay hidden. If you remember one of the phrases we said in the life of Moses after he had killed an Egyptian is that the sand always reveals its secrets. We cannot walk in constant disobedience and sin in our lives without our lives being affected. Please recognize that. Please realize that. Our sins will always be found out, and the Lord already knows all of them. We too will see storms arise in our lives due to our disobedience. But the beautiful thing is, is that storms can sometimes mercifully redirect us back to obedience. Storms can sometimes mercifully redirect us back to obedience. Keller once said in the same book, Storms can wake us up to the truths we would otherwise never see. Storms can develop faith, hope, love, patience, humility, and self-control in us that nothing else can. And innumerable people have testified that they found faith in Christ and eternal life only because some great storm drove them toward God. God is bringing a storm in Jonah's life to wake him up to the reality of his own disobedience, to try and move him back to what he is supposed to be doing, to change and redirect his path. This storm came because of Jonah's disobedience, and Jonah knew it. He had already told the people, the sailors, that he was fleeing from the presence of God, as we'll see in a moment. And Jonah, I don't know how he does it, but he goes into the bottom of this ship and he sleeps. I, I don't know how that's possible. He knows that this whole thing is happening because of his sin and disobedience. And he's like, peace out, guys, I'm just going to take a nap. 
Not, oh man, I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh, like God is so angry. I know that this is happening. He was so resigned to his disobedience that he could completely ignore a storm that God was putting in his life. But his storm that was there for Jonah affected other people, and that's what brought about something different in his life. The fifth key is the key of repentance. Repentance can help still the storms started by our own sin. Repentance can help still the storms started by our own sins. Jonah 1, 7 through 15, this is the big chunk of the story in Jonah 1. It says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lost fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had already told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay on us innocent blood for you, O Lord. Have done this as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. I find this part of Jonah's life fascinating. Fascinating. Because Jonah is very well aware of why this storm is happening. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows that he is going in the opposite direction of what God has for him to do. He knows that if he were to repent of what he was doing wrong and change course and direction, the storm would stop. But instead of repentance, he chose resignation. Understand that Jonah would rather die than repent. Jonah would rather die than repent. I don't know about you, but that kind of blows my mind. He is so against God's call on his life, so against the mission that he would rather die. Smith, a commentator, said he did not exhibit repentance for fleeing from the Lord, but merely resigned himself to the only seeming solution. When he could have chosen repentance, he chose resignation. He didn't want them to die on his account, the people. He did not want the people to be completely affected by his sin. And so he said, okay, the only way is for you to throw me overboard. And this isn't like a gentle push. The word hurl in Hebrew is very intense. It's like ten guys picking you up and chucking you over, throwing you in with glee and happiness. Right? That's what he's saying needs to happen. 
I need to, to die. Just throw me overboard. It'll be done. And the men are like, uh, we, I don't think that's the best idea. Killing a prophet who God's causing this storm because you're disobedient, what's he going to do to us if we kill you? So they're like, we're not going to do that. But eventually they come to a place where they're like, okay, we have to. If this is the only way, we're going to do it. Jonah offered to die because of selfishly, because of his selfishness. He would rather die than obey the will of God. Another thing we need to recognize really quickly, and I had mentioned it uh, just briefly, but we have to recognize also that our sin affects other people. We might think that our sin only affects us. We might think that even those secret closeted sins that we have, are God's only going to hold against us. But because it is so internal and continues to grow in hiddenness and secrecy and darkness, it will begin to affect everyone around us. It will change our attitude. It'll change our happiness. Our joy will be gone. We'll begin to push things deeper and deeper and deeper until everybody is affected by our sin. So do not be fooled thinking that your sin only affects you. It affects everyone around you. Jonah, if he would have repented, he knew that if he would say, Lord, I repent, that he would need to turn back to the Lord. That if he were to repent, he would have to go and do the Lord's mission and he would rather die than repent. How often, when God calls us to repentance, do we choose resignation instead? I'm resigned. This is just who I am. This is just what I do. Everyone else's sin is worse than mine. Mine's okay. It's not that big of a deal. We just keep talking to ourselves about these lies. We need to choose repentance. Choose repentance. And the sixth key is the key of mercy. Allow God's mercy to empower your mission and I would also add, allow God's mercy to empower your repentance. We see in Jonah 1, 16 through 17, says this, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. After they had thrown him into the sea, immediately the storm calmed down. These men, seeing the mercy of God, they changed their allegiance from their gods to the God. Now, what's very interesting about this portion of the, of the story is that if you believe, like I do, that Jonah wrote this book, Jonah was in the sea, and as soon as he was thrown in, the storm was gone. And before the fish came to him, he saw the men on that boat offering sacrifices and vows to the Lord. He, a prophet, saw pagans see the mercy of God on their life and turn their lives around. And still he sat in the sea. At that point, he could still have repented and said, okay, God, I'm going to go the way you want me to go. He could have called out to the sailors and said, all right, guys, we're not going to Tarshish anymore. I need you to take me to Nineveh because that's the path that God has for me. I'm finally ready to do what God wants me to do. I saw the mercy he gave you. He can give that to the Ninevites. That's what I need to do. Nope. He stayed floating. 
ready to die, continuously in his resignation. I don't know how this could not blow your mind, that he was so stuck that he was willing to continue to die, even though he saw the mercy of God change the lives of these sailors. Now, we might look at Jonah and say, wow, what a, what a pitiful fool. But we need to stop for a second and look in the mirror and say, where have I done this? Now, some of you might be thinking, whew, this is a great sermon for so-and-so. I'm going to email this to them later about repentance and about all these things, and <laughs> they got problems. But stop for a second and look in the mirror and ask yourself, where have I been running away? Where have I not wanted the mercy of God to change someone else? When we look at Scripture, we look at the good people, and we say, oh, that's who I am. I'm a champion. But when it comes to these moments where we have to come to grips with the reality of our own sin and our own issues, we tend to breeze those over or think of someone else that needs it. But my friends, we all need this. We all need to look in the mirror and say, God, let your mercy, the mercy that I do not deserve, empower my mission and empower my repentance. Because fully grasping God's mercy on us should inspire us to be on mission. Jonah thought he was better than the Ninevites. Jonah thought that he was a special elite person over and above the Ninevites. And so he did not look in the mirror and recognize we, the Israelites, are just as broken, just as rebellious as the Ninevites. If he would have just looked back and reflected on all what God had done to the kings who were not repentant, to Israel when the kings were messed up and sinning and building altars, if he would have just stopped and really looked at the mercy of God on his own people and on himself, it would have changed and transformed his desire for mercy, for the mission that he was called to. We need to reflect and remember. Ephesians 2 is a great passage in Scripture. Because Ephesians 2 reminds us of where we were, but then tells us who we are in Christ now. It keeps us humble. It keeps us recognizing in, in chapter 2, verse 10, that you and I, all of us as believers, every single one of us, God has good works for us to do. God has a purpose for each and every one of us. We cannot be pew sitters. We cannot be bench sitters. We are to be in the game. So get in the game. Allow the mercy of God to empower your mission and your repentance. Fully grasp God's mercy on your life and allow His mercy to inspire you to mission. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your love. I thank You for Your mercy. I thank You for Your grace as we're reminded of what You've done for us on the cross and through the power of a broken grave because You busted out of it. May we remember the mercy that you've given to us and may that encourage us to go on mission locally and globally. May we be people who desire to serve, to send, to go, and to pray 